pray together. Father God, we do thank you for bringing us together this day to worship, to reflect, to reflect on your word, to reflect on our lives before you and how you would have us live our lives. So Father, continue to speak to us as you've already been speaking to us through song. Give us ears to hear, hearts that are open, responsive to you. Bless our continued time together this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we are continuing in our uh, summer series called Designed to Thrive. God wants us to thrive. And we are going to be looking today at the topic of prayer. Uh, And I would be surprised if anyone here uh, doesn't think that prayer is important. But you may have lots of questions, uncertainty, confusion, maybe even a little bit more than just a bit of guilt. If I were to ask you, how's your prayer life? My guess is that more than a few of us would hum and haw and mutter something half-hearted about we don't likely pray enough and then look for a way to change the subject. Uh, A number of years ago, I was encouraged when I read the line from an author I deeply respect, everyone is a beginner in the school of prayer. Everyone is a beginner in the school of prayer, or at least we always feel like beginners. Uh, I speak to you today uh, not as an expert, but as a fellow traveler in the journey of prayer. But I also come to you today with a passion that prayer is incredibly important and with good news that we can grow and develop and even thrive in our prayer lives. But But not only that, I I strongly believe that none of us will thrive in life without prayer. None of us will thrive in life without prayer. We are designed to pray because we are designed for a relationship with God. And the goal is not becoming experts in prayer, and that's certainly not my aim today. But on reflecting a little bit about just what is prayer about, and some basic principles in the practice of prayer. And today, we're going to be chiefly looking at what is most commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, There are two versions of this prayer in the the Scriptures. We are going to be looking today at the uh, slightly longer version in Matthew. The slightly shorter version is in the Gospel of Luke. And what is instructive about the context in the version in Luke is that it is given in response to Jesus' disciples coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, teach us to pray. We are in good company with the 12 disciples when we come to our Lord and say, teach us to pray. And if we want to understand what is, I think, at the core, the the center of prayer, there's no better place to begin with what is referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Maybe better, the disciples' 
prayer. And I think that at the same time, every follower of Christ, no matter how long they have journeyed with Christ, uh, need to have their prayer lives shaped by this prayer. And so it's good to consider it frequently. So with that, let me read the passage of Scripture in Matthew 6, which is actually part of Jesus' lengthy sermon on the mount that is, goes for several chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. And what we call the Lord's Prayer is given as part of some other instruction regarding prayer, which is also important to hear, so we're going to begin with that. So we're starting in Matthew 6, beginning at verse 5 to 15. It's on the screen, or you can uh, get a Bible at the back if you didn't bring one with you, or look it up on your app on your phone, follow along. Hear God's word. And when you pray, these again are the words of Jesus, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when, you, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. In the teaching preceding the prayer, Jesus says four very important things about prayer, which we're going to cover very quickly. First, prayer is not a performance. Prayer is not a performance. Those that make prayer a performance clearly have their hearts in the wrong place. Second and related, prayer is personal. Uh, it's why he encourages people to go into their rooms and close the, the door, partly so you won't be tempted to make it a performance, but also so that you can be real, truly focus on the one you are praying to, truly bring your life before him. I don't think Jesus is saying we should never pray in public. That would not be consistent with the rest of Scripture and even Jesus himself. But the heart of prayer, the core of prayer, the center of prayer is private and personal. Thirdly, prayer is not about volume, either the loudness of our prayers or the amount of the words. Keep it simple is a good guideline for prayer. And lastly, Jesus says something quite significant about prayer. He says regarding our prayers, the Father knows what you need before you ask him. That is, prayer is not conveying information to God. That's a hard habit for some of us to break. Maybe, maybe you've heard these kinds of prayers. Oh God, we pray for Mrs. So-and-so who broke her leg, is in room 103 in Memorial Hospital, and hasn't had many visitors lately. 
heard that kind of prayer. If prayer is to the all-knowing God, maybe we can cut to the chase a little quicker. But more than that, Jesus is saying that prayer isn't chiefly about bringing our shopping list of needs before God, but something much deeper and richer. It is taking time to deeply reflect on just what it means to be in relationship with God and to live out our faith in this world. Jesus says then, this then is how you should pray. Uh, We should note that Jesus doesn't say this is what you should pray. Uh, Jesus is giving us more words, uh, more than words that we should repeat, and by simply repeating them, believe that we're done with prayer. I think Jesus is giving us much more than that. This is a wonderful prayer to pray. I grew up memorizing this prayer according to the King James Version and have said it all my life, as probably many of you in this room have done. And it's a good practice and a good prayer to memorize and know by heart. But I don't believe that's the main purpose of Jesus giving this prayer. The prayer begins, our Father in heaven. Most of us probably have uh, heard, if not more, that King James Version, our Father who art in heaven. Far too formal for what Jesus is getting at here. In fact, the first word in the Greek is simply Father, Father. For prayer is intimate, relational, and at the same time, reverent. Jesus most powerfully revealed that we are to know and relate to Almighty God as Father. That is a a good, loving, caring Father. Not, Not a cruel, harsh, and distant Father. Some may see God that way, project God that way, but that is certainly not how Jesus revealed God to us, revealed the Father to us. Jesus' famous parable of the prodigal son reveals the heart of the Father that wants all his children to come home regardless of what they have done. We sometimes sing that contemporary worship song together, good, good Father, that's who you are, that's who you are, and I'm loved by you. That That thought, that concept must be firmly in our minds as we come to pray. At the same time, he's not like any earthly father. He is, as the prayer says, in heaven. And that's not about distance somewhere out there beyond the galaxies. That's not what heaven actually means in the scriptures. But heaven is about his authority authority, his throne. We pray to the one who's sovereign, who is the kingly father. We we pray to the one who can act and is acting. We pray to the one who is in ultimate control, our father, who is in heaven, who hears, who listens, and is ready to respond to our prayers.
And what follows are, are six petitions or six requests. Uh, the reality is each of them could be a message in themselves and books have been written about them, but today we're just trying to get a touch point on each an overview of this great guideline for prayer. And the first petition, uh, people often don't even realize a petition. I had prayed this prayer for years before I kind of delved into it and realized, okay, there, there is more here. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed isn't a very common word. We don't go around uh, saying that word very much in regular speech. What does it mean? Well, it means to make holy, to hallow someone into, is to make it holy. And that means to, to make it revered, to make, it, make something honored. And Jesus says we should pray, make holy your name. Whose name? Well, the name of God the Father. And if I had time today, I would love to trace through the scriptures the importance of God's name. For God reveals himself as the one we are to call by name. But in short form, God's name, when we say that phrase, God's name, we're referring to all that he is, all that he has revealed himself to be in the scriptures. His holiness, his love, his faithfulness, his perfect character, his power, his provision, his compassion. Ultimately, it is that knowledge that God has revealed himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And ultimately, we come to know through the, through the New Testament scriptures, through the revelation of Christ, that Jesus is the name above all names. And though the disciples didn't realize that when this prayer was given, they would. They would. So we pray in the name of the Father. We pray in the name of of Jesus, and we want the name hallowed. So what is that about? Make holy your name. Well, it is this, that his name would be known, that he would be revered, that he would be praised. May God, who he truly is, be known and honored. May the living God be known and honored in my life. May he be known and honored in my family. May he be known and honored in our community and so on. Because you see, when the living God, when the living God is hallowed, when his name is honored, when his name is revered, when people come to know him, then we also know who we are and how we are to live our lives. Everything flows really from this, that God's name be known and honored, that his name be hallowed. Hallowed be your name is a short form for so much. I leave it there. Second petition, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Praying for God's kingdom is to is to be praying for God's rule 
or his reign to be experienced here on earth. What is the nature of God's kingdom? Well, it is so many things, but it is certainly this. It is justice. It is peace. It is harmony. It is beauty. It is love. It is joy. Praying for God's kingdom or his rule is actually to be praying for the transformation of lives, of relationships, of communities. When we come to pray, so often on our hearts is the brokenness, the mess, sometimes the tragedy, the pain of, of a world gone wrong. Injustices or the consequences of, of sinful choices. And what we desperately need is for God's kingdom to break in. What is needed is for people to humble themselves and submit to God's rule. What is needed is for God's power to restore and to heal, to make right. We are to pray for our world, believing that God wants to do something about it, that God cares about our world. And in fact, we know this because that's why Jesus came. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. And Jesus' life and ministry was about the inbreaking of God's kingdom into the world. And, and throughout history, when people come to faith in Christ, when people submit to his lordship, and when communities of people make Christ first a priority in their lives then what happens is that there's an increase of justice. There's an increase of peace. There's an increase of truth and integrity. There's an increase of joy and of love. Oh, how we need God's kingdom to come today to our world. And so we pray, yes, we pray out our hearts for God's kingdom to come. We pray for lives to be transformed by the spirit of Jesus. We pray for marriages and families and entire communities to be transformed because Jesus comes, takes authority. And what follows quickly from this is then we pray for the Father's will to be done for the kingdom comes through God's will being done but when we pray when we pray pause and pray for God's will to be done this begins to get much more personal for we really can't truly pray for God's will to be done to be done without reflecting on whether I'm submitting to God's will. Whether I truly and deeply want God's will for my life, whether I truly want to do God's will. I think to pray for the Father's will to be done is to reflect on the fact that Jesus himself in, in, in Gethsemane with the cross before him had to pray not my will, but yours be done. Praying your will be done 
turns often to, Lord, give me the courage and the faith to do your will. And in prayer, sometimes we will wrestle not just with the knowing of God's will, but certainly the doing of it. Praying for God's will is to humbly surrender to the perfect will of God, knowing that his ways are good and right and true, even if it costs us. Praying for God's will is to ask God to align our wills with his, that we will want what God wants in every aspect of our lives. And so the first half of this wonderful prayer begins with this focus on God the Father, that his name be hallowed, that his kingdom come, that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is, that earth will become more and more like heaven. What a beautiful thing to pray for. And then the second half switches to the pronoun us. First, focusing on the name and purposes of God and the needs of our world. And all of that begins to put our requests in perspective. And Jesus teaches us to pray, give us today our daily bread. Bread. So much of our world, bread, of course, represents that basic food requirement to live. Probably the best-known food bank in Toronto is called the Daily Bread Food Bank. It comes from this prayer and the scriptures. The Israelites' well-known Old Testament journey through the wilderness, they were sustained by daily manna, or bread from heaven. And Jesus, pinging off the Old Testament story, describes himself as the bread of life. For we not only need physical bread, we need spiritual bread. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And we pray to God because he is the provider of all good things. And he knows what we need. Bread is the symbol of our needs. Not only our physical needs, but our relational needs, our spiritual needs. It is bringing the reality of our lives before our Heavenly Father. And of course, the truth is we all have needs, don't we? We all have needs. At the same time, we also have wants. And I think the petition encourages us to reflect on the difference between the two. The request for daily bread reminds us that we need to learn to be content when our basic needs are met and be thankful when they are met with abundance, which so often our gracious Father generously provides. 
Also in this petition, the prayer is not just for me, but the emphasis is on community. Give us this day our daily bread. As we pray, what are those needs around you that you need to bring before our generous and good Father? And he invites us to come and pray. The prayer then invites us to a different reflection. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Many of us will lear have learned the words, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Same thing. For forgiveness is at the very heart of the Christian faith. But it's also one of its most challenging characteristics. For asking for forgiveness requires an acknowledgement and an owning up of our sin. Asking forgiveness requires us to be honest, to be transparent, to be vulnerable, to be humble. But the part that may confront us even more is this linkage to our forgiveness of others. Forgives us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That part of the prayer has caused much debate over the centuries. But I suggest that maybe we're making something complicated, which in actual fact is quite straightforward. For you see, Jesus is concerned with our hearts, for healthy hearts, for thriving hearts. And for that, we need not only to receive his forgiveness, but we need to release any grudge or bitterness or unforgiveness that we may be harboring in our hearts. The grace of God can tr only transform us to the level in which we are willing to express grace to others. It's not an easy truth, but it is a truth. The grace of God can only change and transform our hearts to the extent that our hearts are ready, willing to forgive others. And so this petition invites us to reflect not only on our relationship with God and whether our hearts are right with him, but whether our hearts are right with others. Daily, daily, we need to be forgiven. Daily, we need to forgive others. And the last petition may challenge us even more, but oh, how we need it. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Years ago, I heard of someone who designed a t-shirt with this statement on it. Lead me not into temptation, I can find the way myself. <laughs> uh, it's a fair question about this statement, isn't it? Why do we need to pray for God to not lead us into temptation? Does God do that? 
What is this petition about? James says that God tempts no one. Well, to simply come to the point, the second phrase of this petition clarifies and interprets the first. The petition is about deliverance in the spiritual battle in which each and every one are engaged as we seek to follow God. We have an enemy. In all modern translations, translate this as evil one, not just evil as in the older version. Uh, we need to be aware, deeply aware, that there are forces against us. And as Jesus himself encountered the evil one and overcame him in his temptations, he wants that for us too. And prayer, prayer is the key to victory. So what of that first phrase? Well, it's helpful to know that the word translated temptation can equally be translated as trial. Uh, trials test our character, but also provide the context for temptation. Author and uh, Pastor Daryl Johnson, whose book I highly recommend and who helped me get a hold of this last petition, simply puts it this way. It's on the screen. He understands it this way. Father, as you lead us into the test, for our God will lead us into times of testing, do not let the test become a temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, as you lead us into the test, do not let the test become temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Allow us, help us to be overcomers, to be victorious, to make it through. The essence of this petition is that God will protect us and enable us to overcome the temptations and trials that we inevitably face. And who of us does not need to pray that each and every day? It's said that the great reformer Martin Luther of the 16th century would pray the fifth petition for forgiveness at the end of every day before he went to sleep and the sixth petition at the beginning of every day. At the end of every day to invite God's cleansing grace and to in his heart extend grace to others. And at the beginning of each day to invite God's protection and power against the enemy. We've covered a lot today as we have explored this incredible prayer, this incredible model of prayer, guide to prayer that Jesus has given us. On the one hand, it, it's so simple that it can be said in less than 30 seconds. And yet I believe it's so rich in its significance that it can really shape our whole approach to prayer. Jesus gave this prayer to his disciples that they might grow, that they might thrive in prayer, that they might 
more importantly, thrive in life. We would be wise to take time with this prayer and let it shape our lives. As I close, I want to make this suggestion to you that for the next week, you take five or ten minutes once or even better, twice a day and simply pray this prayer slowly, slowly, reflecting on the significance of each petition, how you can personalize it, make it your own, and let it shape your walk with the Heavenly Father. As we close, let's say it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 